Hello, it's good to be here. It is. Happy Christmas Eve. I know. Season. It yep. is time. It's getting really close. Yep. So, and I feel like I haven't been in this seat you in haven't. a while. So, hello. Yeah. So good to be here. Thank you for showing up and coming. It's good to be here. Mm -hmm. And uh, today is going to be incredible, heartfelt, hopeful. Yes. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be on the seat, on the t topic topic of hope. Mm -hmm. And it's it, it has this like this really deep heart swelling yeah. feeling. So you're gonna feel. Bring out your <laughs> tissues because it's gonna be important to have them, and it's gonna be be awesome. So here it is. Yep. Hey everybody, my name is Stetson, if we have never met before, and I'm really excited to spend some time with you, so thanks for letting me. Uh, for about a year or so, I've been doing some deep exploring of the things that I believe. I've been thinking about the things that I've been taught and the ways that they've been taught to me, and wanting to know underneath all of that what is true. I have this deep desire to be able to see beyond perspective and interpretation in human religion and society and culture and see underneath all of that at the foundation of it, what is actually true. So I've been spending a lot of time the past year or so looking into scripture, the Bible, and, and trying to figure that out. Uh, I don't like the word deconstruction so much. I used to, but I think it's gotten kind of overused and it's got this angsty, aggressive feel to it. It's almost vengeful, like intentionally taking apart what someone else put together. Again, I'm just trying to uncover what's true. That's why I was almost relieved when a friend of mine read something from a book that they were reading. Uh, and uh, in it, he offered an alternative to the term deconstruction, art restoration. And when I heard that, I teared up a little bit. I was like, yes, that's, that's it. That's exactly what I've been doing, art restoration, because it's felt like I've had this work of art that I've been looking at, and I've been bending over it, and with a Q-tip, painstakingly, gently rubbing off all of the dirt and the dust and the grime and the smoke until the colors start to shine through and, and the details, they, they start to come through a little bit more clearly. So I've been doing that for a while, but here's what began to happen. I was doing this so intently that it sort of became academic, like the life of it just kind of got lost. In other words, it was like I was bending over this canvas with the canvas inches away from my face. And I was inch by inch, like square inch by square inch with this Q-tip, just like rubbing off one square inch of dirt at a time and then systematically moving to the next and the next and the next. But what had happened is I had been bending over this canvas for so long. It had been a long time since I had leaned back and seen the whole thing. And over time... I began to lose sight of what it was that I was looking at. I lost sight of the whole picture. Well, in September, my dad drove up to Longmont to take me out for my birthday. And so we were driving out uh, to lunch in the car. And we were talking, and he asked if I had heard this song that he had been listening to called, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And I said, no, knowing full well what was about to happen. He said, well, let me play it for you. And I have to admit, internally, I rolled my eyes a little bit, not really knowing what to expect from a title like that. But then he pressed play, and this woman began to sing these words. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath I long to follow Jesus, 
for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Before I knew it, my dad and I were crying together in the car as our hearts swelled with a common hope. She didn't sing about anything that I hadn't heard before. She didn't sing about anything that I didn't know. But when she sang, you could tell from her voice that she believed it, that she was experiencing it. And what that did is it grabbed me by the shoulders and yanked my head back so I could see the whole picture again and remember what it was I was looking at. I had gotten so lost in search of truth that I had gotten so caught up in in the details that I needed someone who believed it just to sing the song of it over me. This week, we for Advent are talking about hope. And it would be ridiculous for us to talk about anything other than where our hope comes from. Some of us call it the gospel or the good news. It's the story of how God rescued us, of how he saved us. And I know full well that for a lot of us, we have heard this countless times. And I know what I'm about to share, a lot of you, I'm not going to share anything that you haven't heard before. But I think it's worth sharing again. And the chance that maybe this time we might hear the song of it being sung over us. And for any of you who've never heard this before, well, I'm really excited for you to hear it. So I think that might be worth us praying together really quick. So please pray with me. Father, we get so lost and caught up in our lives and over time we lose sight of where our hope comes from. And sometimes it feels like we're entirely without it. And a lot of us have heard some details of the story over and over and over and they've kind of faded in their in their life and their meaning. And none of us want that to be the case. So Father, as we revisit this story or as we hear it for the first time, would we hear you singing it over us? We love you, Father. Thank you that the story we're about to tell is true. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so the story starts like this. In the beginning, in the beginning of everything, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth. And he created the first man and the first woman, and he loved it. He loved everything about it. But what he loved most of all was us, humanity. He made us a little extra special. He made us a little bit more like him than anything else. And it was so good. It was, it was perfect. God dwelled with us and we dwelled with him. And there was no death and there was no sadness and there was no pain. And God loved us so much that he gave us the ability to choose to love him back because you can't force anyone to love you. That's not love. So he gave us the ability to choose to love him back. And the very first of us, they loved him dearly. But the very first of us, they also made a choice to take a step down the path away from God. And stepping away from God is what we might call sin. And sin had a terrible effect on God's creation. Where there once was no death and no sadness and no pain, now there was death and there was sadness and there was pain. The Bible says that sin leads to death, which sounds extreme when we think about it. I know. Here's how I've been trying to wrap my mind around this. Now, no illustration is perfect, and this isn't meant to be the perfect explanation of what sin is. But imagine that there is an oasis, okay? And uh, it's surrounded by an endless desert. And this oasis, for all intents and purposes, is life because it has everything that it needs to survive. It has shade, it has food, it has water. Life can happen within this oasis, Outside of the oasis, life can't happen because there's nothing to sustain it. So outside of the oasis is death because it's the absence of life, kind of like light and dark. Now let's say 
God is the oasis because God is life. He's the creator of life. He is the origin of it. He is the sustainer, the author of life itself. And God places us inside the oasis. Now, if we were in the oasis and we took a step out of it, we wouldn't die instantly, but the direction that we are heading is towards death. Because if we continue walking away from the oasis, we're walking towards our death because there's nothing out there to sustain life. Everything that sustains life is behind us. So as soon as we start stepping away from life, immediately we are stepping into death. God is life. When we sin, when we step away from God, we are stepping away from life and into death. So death is not this vengeful retaliation from God because we didn't follow his rules. Death is just what naturally occurs when we walk away from what gives us life. And the problem is humanity has taken so many steps away from this oasis that we lost it. We couldn't find it on the horizon anymore. And we got even more lost wandering around trying to find it again. And now all of us are wandering around in this endless desert full of things like pain and suffering and sadness and poverty and hunger and homelessness, racism, slavery, war, genocide, greed, theft, death, all these things, these are all versions of death that has seeped into creation once we stepped away from life. Every single one of us experiences different forms of the death that came into this creation that God made. But we're talking about hope. So where's the hope in that? Well, there is no hope in that. If that were the end of the story. But it's not the end of the story. We actually know what the end of the story is because God showed it to us. In the very last book of the Bible called Revelation, in some of the very last verses of the last book of the Bible, God gives a man named John a vision of the end of the story, of how the story will end. It goes like this, Revelation 21 verses 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That is the end of the story. God with us, us with him, no death, no sadness, no pain. Sounds an awful lot like the beginning of the story, doesn't it? You see, God made this incredible thing and it got broken, but God is putting everything back together as he originally intended it to be. He has not given up on his creation and he has not given up on us. He is fixing it because to him, things are not as they should be. I'm sure every single one of us has experienced something really difficult in our life. Maybe it was a death of someone that you loved or some tragedy or of some kind or some sort of betrayal that caused us to say, wait a minute, this, this feels off. This isn't right. Things are not as they should be. And there is hope in acknowledging that things are not as they should be because when we see the end of the story, it confirms that we are right. Things aren't as they should be. And when we acknowledge they're not as they should be, we have hope because think about it. If things are as they should be, if this is as good as it gets, all we can do is accept it or surrender to it or ignore it or distract ourselves from it. When we experience things like death and tragedy and, and betrayal and, and hardship, and we read things on the news that make us cringe, we shrug and say, well, that's just life. That's not life. That's death. Things are not as they should be. And we don't have to accept that. And we don't have to surrender to it because things aren't as they should be. There's something better in mind and God is fixing it. There is hope 
in knowing that things are not as they should be. About a year ago, I started going to therapy. I've been experiencing uh, a lot of anxiety, and I didn't know if it was a normal amount of it. There was nothing I could compare it to. I didn't know if this was just the normal human experience or if it was something more than that. So I went to my first session, and I sat down with my therapist and and started talking about everything going on and and how it felt and, and my reactions to it. So we talked about that for a while. Towards the end of the session, I asked him, I said, so I don't know, like, what do you think from everything that I shared? Is this, is this normal? Is this abnormal? And he looked at me and he said, well, it sounds like you have an anxiety disorder. And I had the strangest reaction to that. I was delighted. I got really excited. I felt like jumping up and down and shouting, yes, I have an anxiety disorder. Because I knew in that moment that things were not as they should be. I didn't have to surrender to a lifetime of anxiousness, but there is something better. There is a hope of something better. For me, it's not the end of the story because there is something that can be fixed. For me, knowing that things were not as they should be brought hope. This is not the end of the story. Things are not as they should be. And there's hope in that because God made this incredible thing and then death seeped in and it broke it. And we all know that things aren't as they should be. I think deep down, we all know how things should be is how they started. God with us, us with him, no death, no sadness, no pain. And God feels the same way. And so he's fixing it. Okay. So if God wants to fix it, how would he do that? He did the most unexpected thing. He took on one of the weakest, most vulnerable forms he could. God became one of us. On the very first Christmas, he was born as a baby and his parents named him Jesus. Now, when we think about God becoming man, For those of us who have heard that a bunch, I I think we tend to overlook how significant this is because of how often we've heard this. But really think about it. Imagine being God, if you can. You exist outside of time and space. You can see into the infinite past and into the infinite future and you see all things and you know all things and you're in total control of the creation which you created. You're smaller than the smallest thing and at the same time, bigger than the biggest thing, all knowing and all powerful. And all of a sudden, you're a baby being born in a barn and you're cold and you can't see very well and you can't control your movements and you can't speak. All you can do is cry. And his birth was just the start of it because after that, Jesus had to learn how to walk and talk and eat solid food. And he lost his baby teeth and he went through puberty and he became an adult and his life was hard. He was a refugee at one point in his life. He experienced hunger and poverty and homelessness. He was tempted. He was rejected by people. He was abandoned by people. One of his closest friends died. One of his closest friends betrayed him. He was tortured and killed savagely on a cross. He died. God died. Another thing that we tend to overlook if we've heard that too many times. Think about it. God died. I don't think we can fully grasp how much Jesus gave up to become one of us and go through what he did. If thinking about God becoming man doesn't make our head spin, I'm not sure we're thinking about it hard enough, but that's exactly what he did. God became one of us and he died and he did that for you. Why would he do something like that? One of my least favorite things to do is help someone move. Uh, It's hard and it's disorganized and it's chaotic and sometimes it's really gross and it is a tester of friendships 
Every time I've helped someone move, there is a room with a couch in it. And it's as if that couch magically appeared in that room because there is no physical way to remove that couch from that room and get it around this corner and up the stairs and around another corner and out the door. And yet I'm the one who has to figure out how to do that. I helped someone move and I ended up deep cleaning his disgusting bathroom because he didn't think that that was a part of the moving process. I helped someone move and he had forgotten to pack half of his stuff and so we started packing for him. Within a few hours, we all started to turn on him. That was pretty entertaining. I I just, I don't like it. But if I have ever helped you move before, one of two things is true. One, I felt obligated and I couldn't come up with an excuse not to help. If that's the case, you will never, ever know. Or two, I willingly accepted your invitation to help you move because I care about you. I was willing to do something really hard that I dislike because how I feel about moving is nothing compared to how much I love you. And I was happy to do it. Think about what Jesus gave up to become one of us. Think about what he went through for you. How does he feel about you? For Jesus to do an act of love so far beyond our comprehension can only mean one thing. Jesus loves us beyond our comprehension. God created this incredible creation, but then we stepped away from God and and death entered into it and broke it and things aren't as they should be. But God loved us so much, he decided to fix it. And so Jesus came to earth as one of us and he died. And he did that for you because he loves you beyond our comprehension. Every single one of us. He loves us like that. But wait a minute. Jesus died? Wasn't death supposed to be the thing that he came here to fix? But he just surrendered to it? How does dying fix anything? What what did that do? Well, I think Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 give us some clues into that. It says this, since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I know this sounds backwards, but in order for Jesus to conquer death, he had to die. For death to be conquered, the author of life had to experience death. I used to think that I had a really simple explanation to explain how this worked and why this worked. But the more I've looked into it and the more I've thought about it, the bigger it's gotten and the more in awe of it I've become. So I don't claim to have this totally figured out. But I think at least part of it comes down to this. In order to rescue us from sin and death, Jesus had to die because to fix the problem, he had to go to the furthest extent of the problem in order to fix it. Sin leads to death. Death is the furthest extent of the problem of sin. And so to fix the problem of sin, Jesus had to go to the furthest extent of it. Jesus had to die. If you have a pipe burst in your basement, you can't just shut off all the faucets upstairs. You have to go all the way down to the basement to the source of the problem in order to fix it. If you have an organ that is failing, the surgeon has no other choice than to reach deep inside of you and pull out the failing organ and replace it with one that is working. If someone is drowning, you have to dive down to the furthest depth that they've sunk to in order to grab hold of them and bring them back up with you. 
in order for Jesus to save us from death, Jesus had to die. See, in the beginning, when we first stepped away from God, that that void between us and life created this opportunity for death to come in and spread throughout creation. And it had this downward momentum and it started to carry us down with it. And so Jesus stepped into creation and went to the furthest depth of the problem. Jesus died, but something happened when he did. See, sin leads to death, but Jesus had no sin in him. Sin is stepping away from God, but Jesus is God. God can't step away from himself. So Jesus was without sin and yet Jesus still died, but sin leads to death. And there's something about Jesus being there for Jesus to die without sin that broke death. It canceled it out. When Jesus died without sin, it shifted the momentum from death back up towards life. When Jesus died, he conquered death so we wouldn't have to fear it anymore. This is good news, but we can't just embrace it and move forward without acknowledging something here. Jesus had to die to rescue us, but Jesus did not have to rescue us. Remember in the beginning, it was when we stepped away from God that death had the opportunity to enter in and ruin what God had made. We did that. That's on us. We're responsible. And that was just the beginning. Every single one of us takes steps away from God, which leaves room for more death to occur in this creation that God had made. But even though we were at fault, Jesus came to earth. He became one of us and he died for us to conquer death, which can only mean one thing. God forgives us because why would he ever do something like that if he was holding a grudge against us? This is why when Jesus was born, the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, we have good news of great joy for all people. Your savior has come. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. Instead of holding us accountable for what we've done and letting us suffer the consequences of it. God loved us so much that he came to earth to become one of us and die and conquer death, to suffer the consequences of what we've done for us, to rescue us from death. Our hope is not just that God loved us enough to rescue us, but that God loved us enough to forgive us and then rescue us. God created something so good and we stepped away from God and death entered into it and things were not as they should be, but God loves us so much that he forgave us and he came to fix it by becoming one of us and dying in our place by suffering the consequences of sin. And when he died, he conquered death. And to prove it, he came back. Jesus died. And three days later, his followers went to the tomb that they buried him in. But when they looked inside the tomb, they were stopped in their tracks because the tomb was empty. Jesus had come back from death. And he appeared to his followers and he told them that he's going to go away again. But when he comes back, death itself is going to die. But until then, it's our turn because the tides have turned. Death has been conquered. Death is on the run. And he invites us to join him in chasing it out of God's creation until the day he comes back to deliver the final blow. Jesus has conquered death. And so he invites us to, instead of continuing to be victims of death, to become conquerors of it. 
And if we believe him and trust him and follow him, he gives us the Holy Spirit, which enables us to join him in putting this broken world back together again. It's true. Take a look at what Jesus says himself in John 14. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the father and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth or the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also live on that day. You will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. And as we join Jesus in putting this broken world back together again, if we die, We don't even need to fear that because Jesus has conquered death. So if we die, we will be resurrected just like he was. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been conquered. We have nothing left to fear. I want to read you something that came from a place that I did not expect. This is uh, the children's Bible I read to my kids. And here's how it sums up the book of Isaiah. If you didn't know, Isaiah was a prophet who lived hundreds of years before Jesus. And it says this, Isaiah's job was to listen to God and then tell people what he heard. Now, God let Isaiah know a secret. God was going to mend his broken world. He showed Isaiah his secret rescue plan. This is the message God gave Isaiah. It was like a letter God wrote to his children. Dear little flock, you're all wandering away from me like sheep in an open field. You have always been running away from me and now you're lost. You can't find your way back, but I can't stop loving you. I will come to find you. So I am sending you a shepherd to look after you and love you, to carry you home to me. You've been stumbling around like people in a dark room, but into the darkness, a bright light will shine It will chase away all the shadows like sunshine. A little baby will be born, a royal son. His mom will be a young girl who doesn't have a husband. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. He is one of King David's children's children's children, the Prince of Peace. Yes, someone is going to come and rescue you, but he won't be who anyone expects. He will be a king but he won't live in a palace and he won't have lots of money. He will be poor and he will be a servant, but this king will heal the whole world. He will be a hero. He will fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies, but he won't have big armies and he won't fight with swords. He will make the blind see. He will make the lame leap like deer. He will make everything the way it was always meant to be but people will hate him and they won't listen to him. He will be like a lamb. He will suffer and die. It's the secret rescue plan we made from before the beginning of the world. It's the only way to get you back, but he won't stay dead. I will make him alive again. 
And one day when he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth will shout out loud. His fame will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Everything sad will come untrue. Even death is going to die. And he will wipe away every tear from every eye. Yes, the rescuer will come. Look for him. Watch for him. Wait for him. He will come. I promise. And on Christmas, he came. Our hope is this. God created something for us far better than this. Things aren't as they should be, but God loves us so much that he forgave us for, for ushering in death into what he had made. And he loves us so much that he came to rescue us. Jesus came here as one of us and he died. And when he died, he conquered death. And then he came back and he invites us to join him in chasing the remnants of death out of God's creation with him until the day that he comes back. And on that day, God will dwell with us and us with him. And there will be no death and no sadness and no pain. Those things will pass away and things will be back to as they should be. The sermon for this series was supposed to be based on a Christmas carol. But I think this Christmas, where my hope comes from, is found more clearly expressed in the words of this song. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Father, we get so caught up in life and so distracted by one thing or another and sometimes caught off guard with some situations beyond what we thought we would suffer through. But would you help us to not lose sight of our hope that all the forms of death we experience here they are just the remnants of what is getting chased out of your creation. We don't need to fear death. You have conquered it. You have rescued us. You have saved us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. God, our hope is only in you. Would you help us to hold on to it and not lose sight of it? As most of us just kind of rest and think about these things, if you are hearing this for the first time. If you've heard this a bunch of times, but this is the first time you're really hearing it, I want you to know Jesus invites every single one of us to participate in this, to experience this. In those verses in John where Jesus talked about you are in me and I am in you and I am in God, Jesus invites us into this interconnected relationship with him that is difficult to express, that fills us with life. And we get to experience him bringing life to us and him moving through us as we bring life and put things back together as they should be. And he invites every single one of us to join him in that. If you've never done that and you want to, a lot of people have started this journey with Jesus by expressing their desire to in a prayer. So if you would like to start that journey with Jesus right now, 
I invite you to tell him that by praying this with me. Jesus, I know things aren't as they should be. I see that around me and I see that in myself. And I recognize that the times that I have stepped away from you have felt like death and maybe even brought in death. And I'm sorry. But I believe that you have forgiven me. And I believe that you came here and you died to conquer death so that I don't need to fear it anymore. Jesus, I trust you. I accept this gift of forgiveness and life that you have offered me. I accept it wholeheartedly. I want to be with you and I want you to be with me. Thank you. Jesus, would you teach me and guide me as I follow you? Would you show me how to join you in putting this world back together as it should be? Would you show me how to chase off death and bring life? Father, I pray for anyone who just started that journey with you. Would you care for them? Would you surround them with people who love you? Would you help them to find others who love you so that they don't attempt to do this alone? That's never what you intended, but all of us would find others whom we can journey with together and follow you together. So Father, thank you for the hope that we have in you. I'm going to pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, we are all back together now. And Stetson, thank you so much for that. That was sure. a gift for sure. So I know you have a question brewing. <laughs> I, I do it. And it's like a, a thing behind the thing sure. type of thing. Sure. So it isn't even about hope, but I, I was how the sermon had been composed. Um, the... Uh, the approach that, that you took of sharing the gospel and you like blew it up mm -hmm. um, compared to just the, the four simple points. Yeah. Um, tell me the heartbeat that you felt that inspired, uh, how do I even ask this? The opportunity to, to do a sermon on hope and you had to do a Christmas carol. Mm -hmm. And the whole sermon series is called The Carols of, 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 of Advent. And you have the topic of hope in the Advent season. Mm -hmm. And the thing that brought you to say, nope, I'm sharing the gospel. Tell, I, I'm very interested to hear the heartbeat because that feels hardcore to me. Um. So, I, I had something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> Your seltzer. <laughs> it helps me think. <laughs> Sponsored by Kroger <laughs> Seltzer. Um, it was supposed to be based off of O Holy Night. Mm. And uh, O Holy Night is, is structured in a similar way. And I, I tried for a while to like weave it in and out of that. And it just started getting in the way. And like... It's all, it, it took a life of its own and it just rejected Oh Holy Night entirely. <laughs> and it's like, stop hindering us. And um, yeah, and so after that, it was like, okay, well, then it's just time to tell the story. But I think the way that it was told, like there was a significant shift. Um, and we've been in conversations about this together where like we've talked about, it's like, where does the story start? Because for most of my life, the story has started in you are terrible and <laughs> you, you are destined for terrible things and like you need to be rescued compared to the story actually starting where it starts in the Bible of like God having this thing intended for us. And so once the, the beginning of the story is established for what it is, the rest of it just takes on a whole other meaning that is just like, I don't know, everything falls into place and it feels less just like, and it's like, oh, okay, it's, it's a story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
from an integrity perspective, and I was like coming to this spot of like, he had to cut out the mm -hmm. Carol because to tell the truth, it just didn't fit. Yeah. And yeah. to sing the song, Oh, Holy Night, mm -hmm. seemed too simplistic, too tiny, too bringing us back to a place that, I, I don't know, like it, it did, did not have integrity in the sermon. Right, and it starts with verses like, long lay the world in sin and error pining. And it's again, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, that's, that's where we typically start the story. But it's right. like, no, the story starts with like, everything was alive mm. and God was here and we were here yeah. and it was incredible. And God loves us enough to bring us back to that. Well, I, I'm just curious, because he asked the question, you know, the, the process. When, in the moment of thinking about that Isaiah thing in the kids' mm -hmm. book, like, mm -hmm. did you already know, like, this is going to be there? Or was it a moment that you're like, wait, this has something to it, you know? And um, so when I, the first time I read it, I was up in my son's room putting him to bed, and I don't know what he thought of me, but I could barely get through it. <laughs> like, like, okay? like every line, I had to like swallow sobs and then oh. continue forward. Um, but anytime I encounter something like that, I write it down and just kind of store it away. And as this was coming together, Carol out children's. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if this was inspired by the memory of what I read in yeah. that, but or if it's just it, it fits because it's the same story. Right. But I don't know. It it came to mind. It was just like, oh my gosh, like this is really That's really good. good. Yeah, I had that exact same experience. Like Zion had been five. Mm -hmm. I have that Bible. Yeah, and that. The, the part that he says that all, all of the sad things will be untrue. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, that just is like, yeah. I have done, like, so I've incorporated that yep. into the theology I have here, and I'll, I'll pray over people, and I'll say all the sad things will be untrue. And, yeah. um, and so bringing that back, it's just like, it's, it's so easy to get caught up uh, having a vocabulary that people don't sp speak anymore, yeah, and it doesn't really hold anything. Mm -hmm. And thinking about um, some of the Advent themes or like hope, and mm -hmm. it's like, how mm -hmm. do you talk about hope? Mm -hmm. And um, just coming back home, it's the simplest of all things, right? Right. You know, it, mm -hmm. it was just like, oh. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the effort in like explaining it comes from simplifying it and like trying not to overcomplicate it needlessly because it's not overcomplicated. Right. Which is why things like children's Bibles are so beautiful because like when you explain it on the level of a kid, there's something that shines mm -hmm. through that we miss out on until we're putting our five-year-old to bed and sobbing. As <laughs> because, because then you start going, oh, that's what that means. Exactly. Because I think we have a right. tendency to pride ourselves on our own theology and complicate it for a purpose, right. whatever that purpose is. Right. And then when you are reading to your kids to benefit them to understand it, then you, you understand it more simply and you're like, oh, that's it. Yes. You know? Yeah, like Jesus talks about the faith of a child. If that's what it takes, then it doesn't require this doctrine that only like a 40-year-old seminary student can ponder. Yeah, Thank I, I God. mean, it's, it's kind of like because I have something, I'm going to pretend that I understand. Right. It's mm -hmm. like because I have an iPhone, so I can, I understand the iPhone. But can I tell you how an iPhone is put together and how it works and all? No, I have no idea. You're right. Yeah. And if someone held showed me, I probably <laughs> this is a bad example, but <laughs> I mean, that's what <laughs> no, I mean. I was like, man, sense. in my head, it's like, and going to a, a more simpler thing, a toilet. Can I explain how a toilet works? No. no. Yeah. 
but it's pretty simple and I should. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to pretend that I do. Mm -hmm. Here's how I told it works. <laughs> I, I think what this is making me question. Everything. No. Oh. Well, no. Um, but That's like baseline for KJ. <laughs> Everything. Let's start over, Jenny. All rewind. No, but it's because I'm I'm really stuck in this like childlike thing, mm -hmm. and especially during Christmas and everything. But it's when did we stop asking questions? Mm. You know, when did we? And and I I say this for myself as well, just being you know brought up in the church and having watching my theology, watching my faith and everything morph and change. But I think I've I've stopped asking questions and done more like, well, this is what I, right. you know. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like, when did we, you know, you think about kids, they ask tons of questions about faith and everything. But it's like, I'm sitting here going, when did I stop asking questions and start just pretending that I know everything, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, or choosing to believe a certain, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's what a lot of this past year has been for me. Like even that question is like, wait, Jesus died? Isn't that the opposite? Like hmm. sounds like he failed. How how does that work? What did that actually accomplish? And I don't know. There, and it just gets into like bigger and bigger things that are just like, oh my gosh. Uh, 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 so there is this thing. There's a juxtaposition because in... In the Protestant church, so if people question things, it shows you don't have faith. Right. Mm -hmm. in, right. in Judaism, the people who have the faith, they are questioning right. everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that there's this journey because there's this questioning. They grow. Mm -hmm. Right. But for the Protestant church, it's like, don't you dare question mm -hmm. because that's going to show everyone else that you don't actually believe the things you believe. Mm -hmm. Right. But because people don't ask, they d don't actually believe the things that they believe. They just pretend to. Yeah. Right. And then there's fear that the things that they believe that they actually aren't true. true. Right. And then chaos happens. Right. <laughs> That's for sure. Bad things. Yeah, because yeah, like when, when questions aren't allowed, it's it's under this assumption that it's all figured out. And right. questions like will move us away from the right spot that we're supposed to be in. Right. But from that other perspective, like in Judaism, it's this expectation that we'll never have it figured out. But by questioning, we'll get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. Or it's just the joy of talking about exactly. it. Exactly. Right. Um, instead of thinking that there actually is an answer, right. it is yes. fun to talk about the things of God. Right. It's that yeah. momentum that's just like, wow. And then if someone comes and says, here's the answer, it's like, well, thank you. Time to go home. <laughs> yeah. You know, like. This is no fun. Th that's no fun <laughs> for it, us. It is no fun. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so if, you okay? Oh man, how do I? So the other day at ch church, mm -hmm. I was drinking a cup of coffee, and mm -hmm. you came up and you said, "I am so excited to do this sermon." Hmm. And you then talked about like feeling pregnant, and that 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 you uh, how. I interpreted it. It isn't the thing that you actually said, but I interpret it like so. I was born to give this sermon. Mm. I am, I am like, like busting at the seams to do this. Sure. Um, I, I don't know about born. Born. To do, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, you no, have I, done I know. What you came to do. It but is there is. I mean, like for. Pastor, pastors uh -huh. get paid to do sure. sermons, right? You sure. do sermons, you're like, okay, I'm going to share the content. Sure. B but the sermon that you just gave, it goes beyond the content. Sure. It told a story of itself, and it gave you the opportunity to participate. Right. How does that feel, doing a sermon that, that, that kind of has a voice of its own, a heartbeat of its own, 
compared to sharing content. It was so weird realizing that I had always laced the gospel into other sermons or really quickly tagged it on to the end and to realize I had never just shared it. Mm. And I'm a pastor. (laughs) And so I think it wasn't like this anticipatory, like, (gasps) but more of like this, like catching up to like Mm. making up for lost time in a sense, if that makes sense. And and I think if I remember it, I think what I said is like, it feels like the most important one I've ever done done so pretty much saying that you were born to give this sermon no but it's not it's not about <laughs> i know me and like what i put together but right. it's because of what it is right. and it's like no it's, it's just sharing the story that underlines everything and there is nothing more important than that but it's been the tag at the end and it's been the undertone and to shift and be like oh this week is about hope I've never just shared the story on this platform before. Is that okay? Regardless of not, like yeah. it's time to make up for lost time. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, it okay. makes perfect sense. Yeah. So you were born. So you're born to get no! that <laughs> No. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> it's all about having fun, man. It is, but it has this connotation of like, look at me. This is my purpose in life. Behold. It's, no, it's no, 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 no. It is I not that at all. Here's the thing. It's right. <laughs> I believe that everyone has a sermon that they hold inside them sure. that they are perpetually telling. Uh huh. And so people are born having a sermon inside of them. Okay. And yeah. that's what I was going But this is the gospel. Like, this is what we're all born to, like, embrace. That's my and, like, point. Okay, that's all right. So it's not that's just our me. Hope. That's where we're going. It's not this unique niche that I, it's like, no, this is like, this is. Who is I? Everybody. It is we. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> so okay. true. All right, we're yeah. on the same page. Okay. okay. All right, all right. All right. I love it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> All right. Are, so is there something that you had been inspired by, something um, that, that you encountered, something that did not get put in the sermon, um, that that had actually been like, wow, but it didn't have a, a home there? Mm. Okay, well, so that Oasis illustration mm-hmm. in, the, in the desert. Yeah. Imagining, again, like not the perfect illustration, but imagining Jesus, like kind of summing up what Jesus did is like he placed himself in the desert and he walked out to the farthest extent that we've wandered Uh and said, I'll be right back. And he goes across the horizon that we haven't seen anybody come back from. And then he comes back with these buckets of water and he starts passing out these buckets of water and says, I know where the oasis is. If you follow me, I'll take you there. On the way, if you see anyone who's thirsty or lost, give them something to drink and see if they want to follow us back there. So just like tying that back in. But kind of in the same line, just like I've never thought of the verbiage of like chasing off death Mm. before. And I think it ties into that. It's like, where does the story start of like, well, we're just suffering from the state of things Mm. and then we get pulled out of it. Compared to, no, something was incredible. It got broken and God is bringing it back to that. And Jesus has shifted the momentum. So we get to participate from going from the, the defense to offense. But the thing about Jesus is just like he came here, it's the opposite way that we see defense and offense. Whereas just like the surrendering of everything and the laying ourselves okay. down, it's like, there's world power, and then there's the power that Jesus displays by giving up his power. And it's like we chase off death by surrendering all power. And almost as this example of like what we thought had power has no power because I've surrendered myself to yeah. it, and it has no effect. Does that make sense? It, it makes perfect sense. Okay, yeah. So I don't know. that. Ten more minutes. I, w- I would have gotten bored of myself if I talked for ten more minutes. But <laughs> I... 
could have heard that sermon for 10 hours. I was going to say, yeah, that and is one. the journey of the horror and, yeah. I, I, th I mean, I told you this on Monday when you uh, were, were telling us about it and everything, and the way that you took us through poetry and theology. And poetry, you just, it was seamless. And it was so, so well done. So well done. And I like that kind of any kind of message, but that kind of message you could sit for three hours. I know, like going back to the question of asking questions and tying in that and and I thought, well, brilliant theology is poetry. Right. Um, yep. It has to be. Mm -hmm. And I think people quit asking questions during the time that theology became science mm -hmm. and theology became academic. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because how do you ask questions about that? Yeah. And, and like um, Hebrew... Hebrew vocabulary, Hebrew anything, it's all poetry. It's all colorful. If if the ink is on a page, it's a colorful ink. It's not black right. and white. Right. I mean, like, I just I have a hard time explaining Hebrew because it's so different than the ink on a page. It sings right. and dances and invites you to come and play. And that's... Rather participation than, in the right. heart of God. Yes. Rather than a, what does that mean? Right. Right. You know, you're not answering that question. Right. And that's exactly why I love the term art restoration. Right. Because it's like, I mean, technically art restoration includes a lot of science. Like it's this combining of chemicals that won't hurt the paint and there's this process. But it's working on art. Like it, it's all art. Right. We've like induced it with science and like we've introduced science to the process but it's art mm -hmm. yeah it's beautiful uh, all right so how how so to today in the conversation that's being had here mm -hmm. is possibly the final thing um that our conversation is going to have our mm -hmm. congregation is going to hear b before christmas Hey, I feel like this, like, there's something here, mm -hmm. but I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> um, how, how, how does a conversation from this point turn the corner and point to Christmas? I don't know if it needs to turn a corner to do that. I won't turn a chimney. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> the other day I was at the store and I was trying to find the, this ornament mm -hmm. um, that defines a place that, that I am right now. Okay, And, I was, and it's going to be like the ornament of 20... 21. Oh, yeah. right, so this. you're looking for yeah, an like ornament. I'm you don't seeking, know the ornament. Right, right. Okay, okay. And I'm going through all the ornaments. And there's this there's this house. It's this brick house mm -hmm. and a chimney. And Santa has gone down in it head first, but his butt was so big that it stuck. <laughs> Were you like 2021? <laughs> yes. Because it felt like I am diving head in this pursuit for Christmas. And there's something, in, and, and I feel like I'm kind of st stuck there. <laughs> and so I, I think I'm kind of asking, like, how can someone, like, put their boot on my butt and push me down and say, it's Christmas? Like, well, maybe that's what Christmas is going to be. Like Christmas itself, that's going to be the boot on the butt. Right, that kicks you down. <laughs> that, that, that's an, you're kind of being very practical. I'm trying to be poetic. No, I'm, I'm being poetic. I said boot on the I'm, butt. I'm trying to bring our whole congregation. We've done this whole Advent series. This is what I'm Love, saying. Peace, no, hope, you don't. Here's, joy. Here's what I'll say to for yeah. your question. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> the color of his head is changing. <laughs> is it? It's like the color of your shirt. All right. right. <laughs> I. So my head just, is like a mood <laughs> ring. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I know what he's thinking. <laughs> hope. I'm thinking hope. But <laughs> technically, when you talk about you know the Advent weeks and stuff, yeah. I've been told this by people that we did it backwards here, or, or hope oh. was supposed to be the first week or right. something. But I think there's something really cool when you when you talk about how do you turn how does this turn your heart basically towards Christmas? And I think ending it with hope does that massively because you are looking at like, this is the hope of the world. This is the hope of every soul. This is, you know, and it is like putting your gaze basically back on the hope for now, the hope that was brought, you know, years and years ago and the hope then for this coming year for the boot on the butt, you know, and what, what does your boot look like, you know, for each year? What what does your boot look like going into this year? Um, but I'm really grateful that we did end on this hope. That it, you know, because otherwise I think it would have been peace or something. But, and that's fine too. But having hope going into Christmas, being able to sit in that place and hopefully having it move us forward into this year, I think is, that's how it's turning us. That's good. Uh, I have a t- t- ton of thoughts at this point, but there probably is not any time we kind of hit that point. But um, I'm very inspired mm-hmm. by uh, the sermon and and kind of if I have told the gospel s- story and it did not bring hope, did I tell the gospel s- story? Right. That's mm-hmm. something that yeah. I'm... I'm thinking, uh, 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 so if people are are banging the drum about don't forget the purpose of Christmas, <laughs> if they have to bang the drum, uh, is that the dr- drum they should be b- b- banging? I mean, like, there are all these things that are like, wait a second, um, things feel different, and there's this, like, yeah, the kingdom of God is beginning to tell a story for itself, and it's telling the Christmas carols to take a seat because it has something to say. Yep, um, that feels good to me. So that's it for today. Thank you for being here. It was fun, yeah. um, and that's it. Merry Christmas. <laughs>